1997, Radiohead was riding high on a wave of two successful albums. Were they slightly better versions of what Oasis was doing with unimaginative Britpop? Yeah, sure, but the money was good. Clearly, it was time to dip back into the well and clone the Beatles once again. Instead, Radiohead tacked into the driving headwinds of a new version of prog rock for the 21st century. That's great, said the execs at Capitol Records. We're so glad you're expanding yourselves artistically. Then they sighed, revised sales estimates from 2 million to 500,000, and canceled the renovations on their homes. Boy, were they wrong. While the electronic and eclectic OK computer may have been a little harder to put on the radio, the fans loved it. Over time, this visionary record has amassed multiple platinum album certification and unending praise from music critics. Your hosts were distracted by life in the late 90s, so we decided to revisit those halcyon days of frosted tips, IMF protests, and not talking about Fight Club. Pour yourself a solo cup of cheap wine and join us for episode 73 of Toasting the Classics. OK, computer. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take something that people call a classic and we talk about it and decide if it's still a classic while we're drinking something that has been inspired by the classic. My name is Dave MacArthur. And my name is Clint Lanier. And we are here to talk about something that was a free choice. We could have chosen anything. We could have chosen a mineral. We could have chosen a vegetable, an animal, <laughs> anything. We should try a vegetable sometime. That would be fun. We, we probably should. We should rutabaga. I think we'll yeah, make there you a, go. <laughs> a podcast. That's a classic. But this time... You know, because of my lack of imagination, I went with a an album, which is OK Computer, the 1997 third studio album from Radiohead. I had this album. I loved Radiohead back in the day. And so I chose it. It's my choice. It's going to be up to Clint. I don't know how much background Clint has listening to Radiohead slash OK Computer, but we're going to find out today whether it's going to survive the Toasting the Classics gauntlet. What do you think? What, what do we start out with? Well, let's let's get a couple of things out of the way real quick. So this was okay. released in 1997. 1997. How, how old were you in 1997? I was 20. I was 20. 20 years okay. old. Actually, it would have been before my birthday. So I was 19 when this album came out. I was 23, 24, something like okay. that. So you were in college. Correct. This came out. I was just finishing up, going out to the workplace and trying to start a real job, a real life and all that other stuff. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from what I've learned of the history of Clint Lanier by doing this podcast, mm -hmm. this is the summer where you worked at the mall at the uh, record store and had to listen to Savage Garden. Yes, yes. Because exactly. as part of the research for this, I looked up a list of other albums that came up in 1997, <laughs> and I That's saw right. Savage Garden on there. And I was like, oh, yes, infamously, Clint was right. uh, listening to Savage well, Garden. Well, my wife, luckily, my wife worked at the record store right oh, across. Oh, it was your wife that worked at the yeah. record store. That's, yeah, right. That's I, right. I worked I worked in the mall at like a jewelry store, and she was working across the way at, at the record store. So. So this is summer of 1997. Summer of 1997. Right? The summer of 1997. Um, I was just. I had finished my second year of college, mm -hmm. and I took a road trip across the entire United States with my friends. We okay. did. I mean, it was like a month long camping road trip. We went out to Los Angeles, and like I saw uh, the whole country for the first time in my life. Really, I also uh, worked as a mover for the first part of the summer. You okay. know, for several months, I, I worked in a warehouse, and then I went on these moving jobs. It was a very that summer, that year really sticks in my head. Like it was a distinctive one. It was kind of a formative year for me in a lot of ways. And then later in 97, I broke up with my first college girlfriend. And then I ended uh -huh. up making making just all new friends in college because I finally didn't have a girlfriend. So it was you know? it was transformative. It was, it was transformative. Yeah, it was a big year for me. 
in a long So this came out June of 97. And I'm looking here. You've got... So <laughs> I've, I've got a little list that I wrote here? down of albums if we want to talk about okay, that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So like I said, I was writing down some things that... I, I don't want to offend you, but I was writing down some things that were a little cheesy that were, okay. I think, representing sort of the Brit pop kind of old guard of, of things that were out like Savage okay. Garden, no offense. Okay. Aqua, if you remember Aqua, Aqua the Barbie Aqua. girl song. Yes, Aqua. Spice yes. World came out in 1997. Oh. Then we've got some other things that are a little more interesting, right? There's some of this like alternative. <laughs> so Blink-182, I think, put out their first yep. album that year. And that's yep. the start of something big, like kind of a new second wave of punk or emo or something like mm -hmm. that. You've got Bell and Sebastian put out one of their first albums and sort of like and Yola Tango also, which is creating the indie wave that came on for the next 10 mm -hmm. years. And you've got the Prodigy and Chemical Brothers sort of starting out electronic, British electronic in a, in a different kind of way. And then you've, you've got, also you've... got Jay-Z, yeah. Puff Daddy, and Notorious B.I.G. putting out big mm -hmm. albums, which again yeah. is creating this new thing that was going to last for a while. Yeah. A second wave after Dr. Dre and stuff that we've covered before. Um, so I think it was kind of a big year, kind of a big year in music. There's a lot of stuff coming out. Creed, Creed's first album, My Own Prison, came out. Um, okay. Creed was, Creed was, it was big on the radio. Um, say what yes, you will. Yes, it was about big it. on they the radio. Were, they, yeah. they were, but they I have were to say, everywhere. sometimes I fall hook, line, and sinker for whatever the big thing is that's on the radio. But in uh -huh. this case, I did think Creed sucked at the time. Yeah, I definitely not so was much. Not a fan. Uh, yeah. Sugar Ray. Oh, um, really? That was 97? Yeah, I guess yeah. that sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. You got Blues Traveler, Lip Biscuit, Cherry Pop, and Daddies. Remember them? Do you yeah, remember like the whole the whole swing era? Have you seen uh, the 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 documentary about the collapse of Woodstock '99? No. No. It's actually really interesting. And it's it's there was a moment in things then where I remember I was interested in going to that first Woodstock renewal that mm -hmm. happened in like 1995 or something. I saw the lineup. Yeah. Uh -huh. I remember seeing the lineup for Woodstock 99 and uh -huh. I saw corn and Limp Biscuit. <laughs> and I was like, this is no. not Woodstock type of people. This is yeah, people yeah. that are going to set everything on fire. And that's exactly right. what happened. That's exactly what happened. And I was not wise. I was a 21 year old and I was not a wise person, but I was like, man, that's stupid to put those people together. Like those are <laughs> the fans of those right. bands are, are, are yeah, that's a, just a bad idea. Fire. <laughs> well, I guess basically get, my, my answer is Radiohead was not on my radar. Oh, okay. Pardon the pun. And, uh, or my radio, they were just not, they were not something that I really listened to. I mean, I remember Creep uh, was huge, got a lot of airplay. I was, I think like in the 90s, I was still stuck, in, especially like 97, I was still stuck playing Alice in Chains and Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And I mean, that was still sort of the, the kind of music I was listening to. I mean, Cobain had passed by then, but you know, they had three albums out within a year. I was listening to them quite a bit. I don't know. I wasn't a big Radiohead fan. I'm looking at this list of albums, and there's uh, a couple I didn't mention. Like, Whatever and Ever Amen by Ben Folds 5. I listened uh, to that all the time that year. I loved that album. This is probably not something I should admit, but Sarah McLaughlin's second big album, <laughs> Surfacing, was one of my uh, favorites that year. It might have been because I was in a bad mood, because like I said, I broke up with a girl, so I might have sure. been, uh, been wallowing a bit. Yeah, but um, yeah. I didn't actually pick this one up until later. Because I, I had Pablo Honey. Mm. I loved Creep. And I actually mm. had the Benz because I liked... I'm actually having trouble remembering which songs are on that. But it's a couple of great songs that I really like. High and Dry, 
satellite there's there's, yeah. there's something but uh, sorry black star and then there's another one that's really good that's on there uh that that's a that's a really good album and i had that but this one i think for some reason i didn't quite buy right away there was a bjork album that came out this year yeah and bjork, experience yeah. what yeah. i would homogenic and what and i used to buy bjork's albums right away when they would come out and every single time she released an album i'd listen to it and i'd say oh this sucks <laughs> and, then I'd, and then i'd listen to it a second time and i'd be like well maybe it doesn't suck that much then right. i'd listen to it a third fourth fifth and i'd start to love them and right. that's what this album was. And for some reason, I had mm -hmm. this and didn't quite give it enough plays to get into it until years I'll, later. Like, I'll I was in law what, school when I was listening to this one over and over. I'll tell you what came out in 97. Okay. Chumba Wumba Tub Thumper. Wow. That was 97? Just the worst song ever written. I mean, that's like, that, seems, that song is is a, like musical herpes. I you thought just that cannot, was You cannot that get rid of that. Matter of fact, yeah, me just saying it, now just infected all of our listeners if you've heard that song and what's what's wrong with that song is you can't it's just the first line i get knocked down i get up again you're never gonna and that's all you say and you never get past that part that's why it's so bad it's just there was something that went wrong with the radio about this time and i think yeah. the radio stations <clears throat> became consolidated under some large national oh yeah maybe I, I think I've read about it before and I'm yeah. I'm I'm waxing kind of stupid right now because I can't remember the specifics of it. But there were some I think Clear Channel or something Clear like Channel, that. Clear Channel, yeah. Some, I think there were bought some every, companies bought everybody that, there was, yeah. They consolidated yeah, it right. so that if so that if you drove across the country mm -hmm. like I did in the summer of ninety seven, you were hearing the same songs right. everywhere. There was no oh, we're in El Paso, so they're playing the music right. that people like in El Paso this summer. It was like the yeah. same stuff everywhere you went. And I think I think that might be one of the reasons that that I didn't. So this this album didn't get a lot of airplay. Matter of fact, it, it was it was no, not really. No. Uh, unless I mean, it got it. It got a lot of airplay on the. We still had an alternative rock station. I was gonna say. I, I think yeah. I was familiar with Karma Police. I definitely knew on, that. So on alternative rock or on like if it was a movie, it'd be like the art house theater version of that right 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 so if you had those what kind about of, your didn't you guys have like didn't you guys have a great uh college radio station good krux but crux never played i mean they played really off the wall stuff i mean they played uh, stuff you just never heard of a lot of local bands liquid cheese and stuff like that but um yeah there was there was is not liquid a lot cheese of, a form of music i don't know about or is that a band that was from <laughs> that's a local yeah. band it's a local okay. ska band right. that was actually right. pretty big in, in our area there's a great band here in our, our, our area called Troy's Bucket. Does that name mean anything no, to you? No, I'm okay. sorry. Troy's I'm trying Bucket. To think of what the, so we had uh, Jimmy's Chicken Shack was big around the D.C. Uh -huh. area at this time. And um, I'm trying to think of what the other, there were some bands that I knew were not national bands, but they were popular in the area. And then occasionally we'd actually have something that went national. But not that frequently. Not that, well, Troy, Troy's Bucket, just the name of it. Uh -huh. It's named after a line in the Goonies when he's dead. They're down. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, down yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's, he's like, all that this is our time. Go up yeah. in Troy's, Troy's bucket. bucket. Yeah. So I love that. <laughs> that's a what great a, name. I never, what, what a great name, right? I mean, that is such a great name. I didn't reference. make that connection. I like that. But it was just never a thing for me. I mean, I heard Creep on the radio. That was obviously early 90s, like 93 yeah, that or was, something. That was broad radio play. <laughs> right. Don't leave me high, like you said. This one I never really was. I never just got exposure to it. And, okay. it, you know, I was kind of busy. You know, I was trying to finish up college and I was married. And I was sort of in my own little world. And I, I was really focused on just getting the heck out of, out of college. 
<laughs> which I did eventually. So not um, to get not to get too biographical about you, but how old were you when you got married? You must have been pretty young. I was 22. Yeah, I was 22 okay, when yeah. I got married. Yeah. I can say it now, 30 years later, but I probably wouldn't have put money on that. Yeah, yeah everybody no, lost I, their bet. Yeah, everybody lost one of my, their bet. One of my, yeah. other, one of my friends did the same thing. He got married when they were 20, 21, and they're still together. They have yeah. one of the most solid marriages I've seen. 20, wasn't 26 it? years later, she's still putting up with me. When you're young and single with nothing else going on, or even if you're in college, you know, there, you, you're more in tune to what's going on in culture, you know, just kind of in, in the, in the atmosphere and the environment. But when you're like, you know, I was married, so I wasn't going out, <laughs> you know, we we're trying to get through college. Both of us are struggling to get through college. And I was just in, in that, in college mode, get through the classes and stuff like that. So I, I really didn't have, I mean, there was like, it's a period when like two years when we were broke. And once that was done, then, you know, oh, there's a life outside of this. And this sort of came out when I was in that that dark zone. I wasn't going on vacations. I wasn't buying it. I was just plodding through Nose school to the and stuff. Yeah, totally. In front of the other. Uh, so that's sort of when this came out. Now, so I, I downloaded this, listened to it many times. I think I've probably, uh, you, came, you came up with this, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Uh-huh. I'm probably oh, listening so, to this. So you download you, when you say download, you mean recently downloaded it? Yeah, yeah. That was a okay. I had never heard this album. Oh, um, oh, I'm, I'm like, and, I'm kind of yeah, jealous. And the first time I heard it, I was like, because I got to okay. be honest with you, I hate Oasis. I, I have heard Oasis. I think one of the big things about this album is what a departure it is from yes. Oasis. Yeah, like but but immediately, Oasis. immediately, I was thinking the whiny British garbage right. sound from Liverpool, and right. uh, I know a lot of people liked. Oasis, it will challenge me to a fight, just fight for that. Oasis um, is okay, but Oasis. So I really enjoyed Oasis at the time. I remember hearing Wonderwall, and I was like, "What a what a great little song!" But that was man. my feeling. It was a little song. Yeah, it was just doing the same crap. People, but some people done. saw it as a movement or something. I I just couldn't get yeah. it, and 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 so I heard this in the first time. You know, and obviously I did the research uh, because we are we do a lot of research, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, oh, for yeah. this show, exactly. yes, I mean like exactly. five or ten minutes worth. And well, we have teams. Um, we have teams of people in the back room here. Absolutely feeding us stuff the, as we as we speak. As a matter of fact, somebody's in my ears telling me what to say right now. I but really should it, give credit to Agnes uh, back there in the research room if I ever say anything funny because she's good old good old Agnes. You know, for ninety five, yeah. she's spry. So, but after listening to it, okay, the first time I listened to it, I was like, what is this dribble? Second time, I was like, you know, this this, and now I'm I'm. Pretty sold on it. I, I don't want to give okay. too much away for from the ending, but so it, you're having it, the experience I had with my Bjork albums. You like heard it the first time, you were like, "What the hell? What is this?" You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, what is this crap? And uh, I, I've listened to it many, many times. I read about it, which almost made it worse. Almost turned me off, actually, because it's it's a bit precocious and a little bit. And little bit. you know, when you when you read about, oh, well, this is what we were thinking when we came up with this song, and blah 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 doesn't help your cause yeah. but just listening to it though it, it really has turned me around on it so i think that musicians oftentimes mm -hmm. and especially popular musicians there they, there's a genius to them right i mean mm -hmm. obviously they can do a thing that most people can't do and create music in a way that a lot of people can't do but when you listen to their explanations for what mm -hmm. they thought while they were doing it mm -hmm. man most of the time it just it ruins the music for you it's like yeah. it's like you know why don't you just do the music music boy like you're really not great at talking <laughs> right. and thinking yeah you know? yeah like sing and dance entertain us shut up yeah just sing and dance and entertain me and don't <laughs> tell me you know what what yeah. your political beliefs are behind this this music which is you know obviously an elitist jerk thing of me to say but it's you know <laughs> like it's kind of true like i remember hearing bono talk about something and i was like man i 
I had more respect for the music before I heard what your rationale was for it. Yeah. I, they're just inspired people, I think. That's not really has nothing to do with maybe. Yeah. The I just, conscious thoughts they have that, that creates right. the music, you know? You know, there's there's a whole postmodern, post-structuralist take on that. Like, does it really matter what the author says? Because you're the you're the one receiving it, you know. I think it was Roland Barthes who said the author is dead. Or maybe it was Foucault, one of them. You know, okay. said that that the author is dead. Like the author these doesn't. Foucault's, matter. These Foucaults and Derrida's and Roland Barthes—that's all yeah. you. You're you're in the ivory tower. I don't know anything uh, well, about that. Well, you knew the names. I'm impressed there. Did those, but... did those guys play for the Knicks uh, last year. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, the point is that you know, it doesn't matter what they say. It just matters what you get out of it. I suppose that's true. You know, but it's nice to know. I mean, if you see a Jackson Pollock and painting and. It's a bunch of splashes and, and and drips and stuff on a on a canvas, but there's a name beside it. Like I remember one that had that was particularly splashy and drippy, and it's called Galaxy. And it's like, oh, okay, I can see it now. And right. you know, without that name, you're just like splashy and drippy. But Galaxy, okay, it's the movement of the stars and everything else. And it was like a long exposure photograph, you know, when you see the stars move and there's streaks instead of just a sable star. I'm sure there's got to be in the theory of the arts. There's got to be mm -hmm. a whole discussion about how much the artist, if you hear what, you know, like you said, they put a title on a work and that shapes the work for you. Or should right. you have experienced the thing before you saw the title or before or before you even heard the artist's name or saw their right. face or what they looked like or anything? Should you just... Right. And it's almost like you have to make this artistic choice for yourself before you engage right. with the work. How am I going to do this? Because it's going to frame everything about it. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if you went on, yeah. if you went online just now, I, I, so what I did today is I, I hadn't listened to the album in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I, I pulled up, you know, the basics about the album and I read through the first, you know, a couple hundred words and I said, all right, now I'm just going to go listen to the album again mm -hmm. because I thought about reading the whole article and informing my, mm -hmm. my listening and I said, no, I'm just going to I'm going to do it a little colder than that. Mm -hmm. So I went and listened to it. And that's a choice that I'm making. It's almost like right. I'm the artist in a way. Because yeah. I, well, I think I should say yes. my yes. definition of my definition of art is choices that you make. Hmm. Right. Like The things that a person does when they create art that are choices and not just necessities from the art mm -hmm. form are what is art. Right. Yeah. If I build a bridge, I have to make sure the bridge doesn't collapse. I have to make sure people can get across the river. Right. Everything else I do is art. Like what kind, of, mm. what kind of trimming I put on it and what materials I use and do I go with one kind of, you know. And so I think you're as as a person that's taking the art in, you do the same thing. You make choices about how am I going to take this in? Where am I going to sit while I listen to it? You know, what do I think and, of these people before I. And not to be too to get too esoteric, but you, you, I think you, you also brought up an important point about the lens that you, that you bring into something uh -huh. that you yeah. look at it through because your expectations color how you receive Absolutely. something, right? There's a, Absolutely. there's a book by uh, Don DeLillo called White Noise, which I think is being made into a movie. It's a show. It's um, a show now. I think. Oh, it's a show, right. Either a movie and, or a Netflix show. And one of the, you know, they, and in the, in the book, he talks about, he takes a friend of his visiting. And so he takes his friend to go see the, most photographed barn in like the world and okay. it's the most photographed barn because it's the the stereotypical barn like in new england right like, this looks like a barn if you go to a barn this is what a barn is supposed to look like and so he's walking around as his friend is like looking at the barn and stuff and he's noticing people taking pictures of the of the most photographed barn in the world and 
And then he's, he's noticing people taking pictures of people taking pictures of the most photographed barn in the world, right? right? And it dawns on him that you can't, none of them are seeing the barn. They're seeing the most photographed barn in the world. Right. This is what they've heard of. They've heard of the barn. And, and it right. goes back to like, right. you know, this theory that you can't, if you've never seen, like you can't see the Grand Canyon if you've ever heard about the Grand Canyon because right. all you've ever heard builds up the Grand Canyon so much and you get there and you're like, oh, is this all there is? Yeah. So I went, I went, into, I, I went into this album thinking, oh, this is a bunch of whiny British pot drivel. Uh, this is, you know, a la Oasis type of thing. It's going to be whiny, yada, yada, yada. Right. And I listened to it with that frame of reference and I was impressed that it wasn't that. Like I found that it wasn't that. Right. And I had never heard that this was the best album in the world. And I mean, there's all these accolades that we can talk about in a bit, but right. that I had never heard any of those accolades. I was like, really? This is supposed to speak to my generation? I hadn't heard that before. Had I heard all that stuff, I think it would have complete. I would have been let down, right? Because I don't think this does speak for the Gen X, you know, Gen Xers out there. I think to me, my Ooh. my album is is smells like Teen Spirit, and it all well, not or to never, get into never it. mind, rather. Not right. to get into it too early, but I think it's rather like uh, Nevermind is that mm -hmm. did it speak to the generation of 1991? I'm not sure it did. It spoke to those of us who were a little younger. It was like because it represented what was coming. And I think this mm. album, I was almost, you know, I did like this, but I think it represented what was coming more than it did. I think it was more representing of how people felt in 2002, 2003. Mm -hmm. Than it than of ninety seven because it was ahead of its time. Maybe I, think. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, it, it, folks. The reason we're saying this is because this is one of the accolades it gets is that that this speaks for Gen X, this the Generation X is the anthem album, and that it's anti commercialism and it talks about materialism. It's kind of like Fight Club in that. Like if you ever yeah. watched the movie or read the book yeah, Fight it's Club, it's all about yeah, it's consumerism. Time with Fight right? Club, I agree. Yeah, yeah. it's like it, you look around and there's a price tag attached to everything that you own. Right. It represented and, a it represented there's even some express references to the IMF and things like that in right. this. In yeah, this yeah, exactly. Album. And, and so I think and it's so sort of it's sort of, of a parcel with those things where I remember feeling and I don't know whether this is true, but I remember feeling at the end of the 90s like history was over and yeah. we were just in this like terminal phase of like everything was going to be consumerism right now. Nobody yeah. really had right. any serious problems right. and everybody yeah. just kind of had some angst about that, which is yeah. stupid. Well, angst and anger. Oh, but... and, and it's like, God, there's gotta be more to it than this type of thing. Right. And, and, and so I get that. I, I do get that. And I understand that, but I just, I guess for me, the bitterness and angst and anger was more about never mind. I mean that, cause that, that comes through much more in Nirvana's, I'm I'm really pissed off at everything right now. To me, maybe it's the the stature of you know, like you could be pissed off and kind of mopey about things, which is sort of how I see Radiohead, or you could be pissed off and breaking things, which is sort of how I see Nirvana. And Ellen, I, 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 well, I, ugh, <laughs> ugh, ugh. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference. There's there, there's the Nirvana. I'm sorry, Fred. Was... Fred Durst is a idiot but nirvana was kind of at the end of a of the punk <laughs> chapter where you were breaking things but you were smart enough to know why you were breaking things and right. limp biscuit i think is a different chapter where you were breaking things because you were too stupid to think of anything else because you were you were drunk on on no, nikki's big mouse or something or whatever just, but i mean you're just one of the one of the huns that's setting fire in, to rome in the, you know you, in england really, they would call them they would call them yabos I think there's, yeah. there's the, yeah, there's the whiny bitter and there's the mopey bitter. And I was more of the, or, and there was the angry bitter and I was more of the angry. Yeah. I think I probably, there's a bit of, 
a bit of mopey. There's a bit of mopey to me. I, I could see. I could see. Um, mopey? I would. I would consider you mopey. No, no. As a young mopey. man, I'm saying not so oh, much. Oh, young. Mopey. Oh, you're a young mopey. Would, would have been prone to a little bit of mopeism at the at that point of my life. Sometimes mm. I, I I wasn't a, I wasn't a super angry young man. I wasn't really the uh, negative emotion I most associate with myself. But, so <laughs> we usually on this podcast we drink something. What are we drinking this time? Or, you tell me. I mean, you're, okay, you're, the, this is, you're in it charge. Was a, so it was a difficult process for me. There's a song called Climbing Up the Walls, and I had a moment of flirtation with the idea of drinking Harvey Wallbangers, <laughs> inspired by that. But I looked it up, and there's like a really expensive Italian liqueur uh, that goes into Harvey Wallbangers. So I'm going to save that, <laughs> I think, for another day when I when I feel like going out and shopping around New York for whatever. It's Galliano or something? Is that Galliano, yeah. There, oh, there's yeah, actually yeah. there's like two drinks that are ever made with that uh -huh. uh, Harvey Wallbanger and then one of the ones and I guarantee you anybody listening go into your local bar mm -hmm. and ask just to look at the the bottle of Galliano there will, everybody will have it it'll be covered it'll be in dust, dust. It'll be dust it'll on be, the top there'll be an inch missing from the top and it will be sugar encrusted and you can't even get the stupid cap off unless yeah. you run it under hot water because that's how how long it's been since anybody's drinking. Anyway, you know, ahead. I bet I could find a bar in New York douchey enough that people are drinking Galliano on a regular basis. I, I feel like, yeah, no, I feel like, like if I, I said, could there, find it anywhere, like, it'd be here. There are like two drinks. The most common is the Harvey Wallbanger, which okay. is it, Harvey Wallbanger is a screwdriver with Galliano in it as well. So, okay. Okay. You know. Well, I, so I thought of that, you know, like I said, that just seemed like a bit much. We'll, we'll try it. Maybe we'll do Harvey Danger as an album. And we <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But, I um I also thought about I looked through somebody had a listing of pairings for Radiohead songs on a website and that was kind of interesting but you know it was a gin and tonic and I was right. thinking well who the heck is this guy why am I taking his pairings they weren't they weren't great reasoning for why you should drink them so I thought about it and I read a story about the composition of the song Paranoid Android I think it's track track two on this album mm -hmm. there's a story where they're out and there's a whole bunch of people doing coke in L.A. and some lady falls over and they spilled a drink all over her and he said that she got up and she looked like she was going to kill somebody and somehow the the look in her eyes inspired him to write some of the songs from this album including paranoid android i didn't really understand that but again that's like that story doesn't sound that clever but if you if he could find inspiration in that moment great that's that's terrific well so go ahead and say what we're drinking so we can do that and then i'll add we're drinking we're just drinking wine we're just drinking i've got a big cheap, bottle of sutter home and i'm drinking that um okay uh, cheap red wine you said cheap cheap wine you said right yeah i've got i guess this is a rosé but you know whatever okay. i figured cheap what do you got there wine in a box i've got wine in a box a small box wow. and not you, franzia because if i said, get wine in a box said, i usually roll with franzia but you said cheap and so i've got uh, a small solo cup and okay. a small box of wine because okay. I, I imagine so they were in a bar in la and i can imagine that he was drinking out of a red solo cup box it's wine. rare that one can open a container of alcohol uh -huh. pour it into a solo cup and have upgraded the classiness of the container. <laughs> yeah that's true so they were in they were in a bar in la and, a, and it's probably i imagine it's one of those bars where the rich la dbs I know your son listens to this, so I won't say what that means, but you can look up Urban Dictionary, which Rich DBs. God forbid. Hey, I really don't hey. want my son crawling through Urban Dictionary. I hope he doesn't. <laughs> okay. Alex, you don't do that. Everybody else can do it. But uh, so, yeah, he spills wine on this woman on her Gucci jacket and matching handbag. Yeah. And so I think it, was, it wasn't it was the spilling wine on her. And I don't think it was the, I, I think it was, oh, and they, they all laughed about it. And then they got kicked out of the bar if they were asked to leave because they did this. <laughs> All right. 
So I think it was the fact that they spilled wine. She was so mad because they spilled wine on her Gucci jacket matching handbag, right? Right. And it, it speaks to that's what's important in life, right? It's the matching Gucci handbag and, and jacket. That's what made her so mad. You ruined my, oh, you ruined my jacket or whatever. My daughter's told me about it, but there's a okay. famous meme of Kim Kardashian in the ocean crying because she lost one of her diamond earrings. And I mean like bawling her eyes out. Uh, and one of yeah. and one of one and one of her sisters or something is like, you know, there's people in the world starving right now. And she's yeah. like just having a fit because of, of this lost earring. And it speaks to that. Like that's LA. And that was but I, I almost feel like what kind of an a-hole would you be if you weren't upset to lose a diamond earring? Mm. Like I feel like that would be the person who would be the real jerk would be like I think it was her, oh, I think it, diamond earring. Well, I think it was her reaction. Her reaction was like yeah. the world is coming to an end type oh, of thing. Oh yeah, okay. Right. And right. and it stinks, but you know, it it, ha- it happens, and it's not the world's coming to an end. We don't have to stop no. everything. So I think that's that's sort of, and I can see that. Considering again, you got to look at it through the eyes of a Gen Xer. When in the nineties, we're we're all figuring out that oh, it's all about who has the most money, you know, mm-hmm. it's consumerism and all this other crap. And so it was a rejection of that of those kind of ideals. I think this sort of typified that to them. You know, oh, I spilled. I'm sorry, I spilled wine on you, and I'm not mad that you spilled wine, but you ruined my Gucci. You know what I mean? Type of thing. Yeah, not not to talk badly about Los Angeles, but that'd be the town to find somebody mm. to react that way. Definitely. You don't have to answer this question, but sure. uh, have you ever been kicked out of a bar, and if so, why? God, yeah, I have. Um, okay, what's just <laughs> so what? So just let's. We don't. This is only an hour long podcast, so just the the most memorable <laughs> time that you were kicked out of a bar. Well, I mean, just belligerently drunk. And oh, okay. being be, right. being asked to leave. Um, I mean that who who hasn't been in fraternity and had that happen to them. I think my best kicked out of a bar story. When I lived in New Orleans, we all I went out with a bunch of friends, mixed, mixed uh gender group of friends. We all go mm-hmm. out and there's this lesbian bar. And mm-hmm. we went in there and we played darts. Everybody was really friendly. We had a great time. So I was like, I had this memory in my mind of it's fun to go to lesbian bars. So I was in DC with a bunch of my friends, and we're walking down uh Eighth Avenue or Eighth Street. And somebody's like, oh, there's a lesbian bar. And I was like, let's go in there. We, I had oh, a great God. time the last time I went. <laughs> so we go in and we're hanging out. I'm just sitting at the bar. I'm talking to my one friend. And after about 20 minutes, the, the bartender comes over. And she's like, you need to leave. We can't have you looking at the girls like that and talking to the girls like that. And I was like, I was I had, I had, was completely nonplussed. Uh-huh. I was just sitting at the bar talking to my buddy. Uh-huh. So we leave. And I turn around and I'm looking at my friends. And I realized my one friend has really short hair, wears glasses uh-huh. and weighs like 300 pounds. And I was like, they thought that, that he was a lesbian girl that I was talking to at the bar that I was bothering. You gotta be kidding. A girl that, that I was bothering one of the girls that was at the you bar. You have got to be kidding me. Oh I my didn't God. tell him. I, I didn't tell my friends until like a couple of years later. I told you, remember we were at that bar with that guy. I was like, that's, that's what happened there. Like, cause I didn't yeah. say anything to anybody. I wasn't rude at all. Like has, has he lost weight since then? I hope. I actually don't keep in touch with that guy so well anymore. So I don't really know. I I wouldn't think so. It was kind of his it was kind of his MO, but (laughs) that is that is pretty funny. But anyway, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good story. It's better than my stories. I just have the old, you know, get get drunk and and cause problems. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That happened. And that's happened before. I've been vicariously kicked out of a bar. One time, one of my friends was, I, I was just singing karaoke and having fun. And, and we were ejected from the bar because apparently our other friend, this girl was like hanging on people and causing all yeah. kinds of ruckus. So I've had that happen before where, where we, uh, I was at, at uh, patio, in fact, 
with okay. uh, some some you got buddies. kicked out of patio. Yeah, well, one of our buddies That's got an kicked out. Well, that one of our buddies, our buddy got kicked out of patio because he was about to fight somebody, and he was he was being drunk and belligerent, so they kicked him out. So we all had to leave too because. So for those of yeah. you who don't live in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which I imagine is Everybody. 100% of you, yeah. um, a pat- patio is, I think, hands down the best bar in the whole city. It's in Old Mesilla, and it's a, uh, it's a it used to be Billy the Kid's lawyer's office back at the turn right. of the century. Right. Uh, the Pat Benatar video, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, was filmed in the back right. of the bar. It's, it's a super cool bar. Uh, I would think, you know, national level quality cool dive bar dive as dive in a city city that really doesn't have a lot of great bars i recommend if you're ever there you'll get dinner at la posta maybe get a drink at double eagle and then go over to el patio and that'd be a great night in las cruces new mexico absolutely anyway try not to get kicked out exactly so maybe we get back to the uh yeah yeah, sort of we sort of digressed a little bit. Weird. That's what happens when you do shows back to back and you start getting a little tipsy. You you wonder <laughs> as right. as the as the infamous Enter the Dragon episode has shown many of our <laughs> listeners. So tell me what you thought. Like you you hadn't really listened to this before. I hadn't really listened so, to it before. Um no, favorite I like songs, it. I, I, worst, okay, so favorite songs, um, worst songs. What's what do you like? What do you like and dislike? Uh, you know, I don't know if there's a worse song. I mean, they're all Paranoid Android is great. I like that it's in, in different pieces. So it's like a six and a half minute song with like four different movements, uh-huh. we call it. And it, and it and it goes. I like that. I like the breaks in it and stuff. Uh, airbag is really cool. So they or, deny it, but uh, I'm sorry. Like they deny that this is a prog rock album or that they uh, even like prog rock. Right. But Paranoid Android, like you said, is like six and a half minutes long. Yeah. And Tom York himself said it was half Bohemian Rhapsody and half Happiness is a Warm Gun. And yeah. I'm like... That's that's a prog rock song. You you may be yeah. you may be starting from scratch and reinventing prog rock, mm-hmm. and you don't mm-hmm. like yes at all. But that's prog rock. You're right. doing all there's different time signatures and crazy stuff yeah. going on in that song. This this is what happens when rock guys decide to get creative. They they this yeah. is what they do. They just and that's what prog rock is. Sort so, of is, and if you you know the experience to listen to it like with with earbuds or something where you catch all the little weird right. outlying sounds yeah. and stuff. It's totally different. Like you listen to it in your car radio or, or maybe your, your home stereo, you don't get all of that, but you listen to it up close and you'll hear all, and that sort of is prog rock, right? Where they have, right. I mean, if, if you've ever heard, uh, there's a freeform jazz band called Soul Coughing. Freeform oh, jazz, yeah, sure. punk yeah, band. I remember them. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You listen to them and, and they, they sound all crazy. And then you listen to them with earphones and there's like stuff going on way outside of, of, of what you would have thought, like in the periphery. I got to see them at the HF Festival in 1996, I think it was. There was yeah, a, they're, that they're was a just, cool. That was they're, a phenomenal grouping of bands. I mean, I saw all kinds of great stuff there. Like, I, they I were, they were kind of like the frog, frog rock of like punk jazz or something. But yeah, I remember yeah so there's two, there's two things that they deny in this album. They say it's not prog rock and they say it's not a concept album. I think it's both. <laughs> I think the concept, the tie, the tie-in concept, is the statement on kind of society or generation at the time, right? Because all of the yeah, all of the songs like have that. Yeah, that is the concept, right? That, it's not. That, Tom, I mean, it's almost like a concept album. It's not Tommy, but it's right. kind of a concept album. There's a theme running through it in a way that a lot of albums. But I mean, how have. could Animal Sounds be a concept album and this not be a concept album, right? I mean, or Pet Sounds. I'm sorry, Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Pet yeah. Sounds doesn't have like. I mean, Sergeant Pepper's, Sergeant Pepper's is like, it's 
it's kind of like obvious concept. Sergeant That's, Peppers is more of a concept yes. album because there's that framing sequence with the band with right. Billy Shears and whatnot. Right. So definitely at the, at the front, more, the front, more in the definition the of end. concept. Yeah, Pet Sounds is concept. This is concept. I have Pet Sounds, oh. Sergeant Pepper, uh, in my notes here. White album. I mean, this—that's what this is like. It's—it's mm -hmm. it's a band that was doing well. Mm -hmm. You know, this album before anybody had heard anything was expected to sell millions of copies because Radiohead was very successful at the time, mm -hmm. and they did what oh, they did what Wilson. Brian Wilson did, yeah. which is they went into the studio and they just did every crazy thing they could think yeah. of because they had the power to do it, right? And made the, it made the studio super unhappy. Mm -hmm. Revised their estimate from two million sold to five hundred thousand, right. but but it was pop. But the band was powerful enough that they still were going to release the album, thinking yeah. that. And I think it's very similar to those. It's like you have a band that's doing, you know, in it to some extent, like what you said, a little bit indistinguishable from what Oasis was doing: mm -hmm. guitar rock, alternative music, not mm -hmm. a big deal, and took it into a, a and like put it into a different gear with yeah. this album, like just changed everything, like the way the Beatles did. Somewhere between Revolver and White Album, maybe with Sgt. Mm -hmm. Pepper, I don't know what, but just completely changed what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And like what Brian Wilson did with Pet Sounds. And I think this is a very similar kind of a project, like just completely changing what they were doing and and, and ended up selling 7 million copies, by the way. And I think that's what sort of turned me around was I when I read all of the, when I did read the history of it, I mean, they could have you know made another album like the Benz or or Pablo Honey or something like that, which was made with Britpop type of stuff. Right. Um, they could have easily done that, but they chose to do this. And so their legacy became artistic, not not like sellout. I always tell my kids, like something I've I've been I've been harping on this since they were like each like two years old. I always tell them everybody you've ever heard of in history, you've heard of because they did something different than anybody else. And it's true. Sure. Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, anybody, they found a different way to do things. And that's what they did. I yeah. said, if you do the same thing that everybody else does, you know, you might do well in life, but nobody will remember who you are. And that's sort and of also when, when we when we, we look under here. the hood for these things, they that's definitely true. But what I always find is that they're never jumping out of nowhere like you know athena springing forth fully formed from zeus's head the way that right. seems like they are they're always standing on somebody's shoulders they're always yeah. inspired by somebody mm -hmm. um i mean taking it to a new level and doing something completely different with it but whenever we do these i'm always looking at oh they learn from this guy and they right. learn from this right. guy you know and this one was inspired that he's mm -hmm. he quotes pet sounds he quotes yeah. you know he's talking about the pixies how he's in the yeah. pixies by the way are hugely influential band that do not get credit. Nirvana was talking Nirvana, about yep. Yeah, like sure. everybody is. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I love them, you know, but um, they were not getting the uh, attention that they deserved <laughs> right. at the time. In the late 80s, I had never heard of the Pixies. Or if I'd, maybe I'd heard the name of the band, the Pixies, but I had not listened to their music. That's another thing I was thinking about. It's kind of this give and take between Britain and America. And it doesn't flow the way you would think it would flow all the time. It's not always the really creative guys in England. And then we learn from it. It's oftentimes Sergeant Pepper was inspired by pet sounds, not that the other way right. around. Yeah, it was the American sure. guy from California who was doing the creative stuff that right. inspired the Beatles to step their game up. Right. And like I said, the Pixies are that's a that's an American band. Yeah. And they uh, they inspired a lot of music going through the 90s. All you British people out there, remember, we're not complete <laughs> barbarians over here. We right. do occasionally just, generate some. We're just semi-barbarians. Semi
Yes, exactly. I'm drinking. I'm drinking red wine from a solo plastic cup, after all. Yeah, we are barbarians. I have ice in my wine, so I just oh, you know even better. Yeah, Take I mean that's just because I'm drinking out of the same glass that I was drinking champagne from for the last show, so right. it still has ice in it. But we're just lucky we don't have any French listeners. We have had French listeners, actually. You know, I I should mm-hmm. I should send you sometime the map of all the different countries where we've had listeners from. It's actually mm-hmm. really fun to pay attention to. We've got all the biggest countries in the world, although I don't think we've ever had a download from China. I think that's more because of the Great Wall. Restrictions, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's... Paranoid Android, Did you speaking of toasting the classics and the history of toasting the classics, mm-hmm. did you catch where the inspiration for Paranoid Android is from? from oh, yeah, yeah, from um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Absolutely. Hitchhiker's yeah, Guide there, to the Galaxy, there, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the only one. There were a few. Well, OK Computer. The name comes okay from. computer yeah yeah I was thinking about it when I, when I when I started looking at the album I was like yeah okay computer that sounds like something you'd say on Star Trek it's just like a right. quote for somebody talk mm-hmm. but it's directly from the radio play for yeah. Tigers Guide to the Galaxy apparently yeah so and it, and, it, and it makes sense these guys you know they made this and they're in their they're past 25 they're like 27 26 something like that and um so that means they remember the radio BBC one from the 70s and the 80s which is where when the um, Hitchhiker's Guide aired. So that was like perfect. I was like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. And I was trying to think mm-hmm. of like, what would we have, like in America, what would we have equivalent? It would have to be like some TV show or something because we didn't listen to the radio. Something from Magnum PI or something stupid. No, that was something like, that like BBC today, did and it's actually really cool. And it's Well, it's like, it's, it's, like, it's, squarely, it's like squarely British. It's just one of those British yeah. things. I mean, BBC One was was... I mean, it had a ton of different shows, radio shows that, that were serialized and turned into Which that. is funny because people would talk about that like it's a dead format, right? Like why, who would even listen to a radio show? But that's people listen right. to these podcasts, these like murder podcasts. Well, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. Love that's that that's stuff, a very so. good point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, There's a- I was going to say that was, it makes sense because that was a publicly funded radio station. So Right. They didn't which, have to worry about about uh, you know the popular and ratings exactly, and like which that. is a double edged sword, right? It's like yes, if you don't have to worry if you don't have to worry about popular opinion, you can do something really interesting and creative, mm-hmm. but you could also put out something that's just utter garbage because Crap, you know, yeah, absolutely. So, which basically our it's a license to take chances, and when you take chances, sometimes what you do sucks. So well, BBC is a is a hybrid pop culture thing and government thing mm-hmm. that we just don't do here. PBS is yeah. probably the closest thing to that. PBS puts out some stuff that's pretty cool that you like Bob Ross that would have never been on TV right. otherwise, right. like, but that is yeah. great. Like I love that, you know, or Bob Vila yeah. and things like that. There, there was yeah. some stuff on PBS that was pretty cool. That's, that's a good point. That's good. That point. Okay. You were going to say that before I so rudely interrupted you. Oh, I, yeah, it's gone. Whatever it was is completely <laughs> gone. I have no idea. Another another gem is gone, ladies and Another gem uh, dropped my, my into the apologies. ocean like one of like one of Kim Kardashian's earrings. Um, I'm just not going to cry about it. I want to talk real quick because we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to talk about fitter, happier. Fitter, happier. Fitter, happier. I love now. that. My kids, my kids were so freaked out by it. Oh, weird. Okay. And they're like, that sounds weird. That sounds scary. I forgot how... Like the sound of the Apple IIc. How bad that was? I don't know. Is it any worse than? I mean, you've heard AI text to, to voice. Is it is it really that much worse than that? I mean, I don't know. It 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 was interesting. It was really interesting. I really enjoyed that song. I thought it was cool. You know, so what they for this song they they fed bits of text that they found. There were slogans from like radio advertisements or just advertisements. Uh-huh. There are all these stupid slogans from commercials 
and they fed it into, it was the Apple II, I think, Apple IIe, Apple IIc, whatever, um, but the Macintosh computers. I think it was actually to, a later version, but I could be wrong. It, but yeah. it, was a, it was a Mac or an Apple. Yeah. They fed it, it into their text, text-to-voice converter, and so that speaks, so that's the whole song. It speaks the lyrics, fitter, happier, don't drink, you know, not drinking so much alcohol, uh, you know, arriving to work on time, you know, all this other stuff. It, it was fantastic. I loved it. It was two minutes of just all the junk you see in advertisements and commercials reduced to AI, weird 80s synth AI voice, or 90s, I guess, synth AI voice spitting That's it out funny. at you. You know, it That's was really funny cool. you had that reaction. I, I remember I had this album and, um, I, I would listen to Karma Police. I love that song. Yeah, and I'd listen song. to it and Fitter Happier would start. And I'd be like, I heard Fitter Happier a bunch of times because I listened mm-hmm. to Karma Police over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, oh, this is the weird one with the robot talking after, <laughs> right, after right. Karma Police. And, well, yeah, it's it's definitely a departure. They considered having that be the opening to the album. Right, but it was I too unsettling. that would have been a mistake. Yeah. I think that would have been a mistake. The word they use was unsettling. And I and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Because my, yeah. my kids were definitely unsettling. Something like, like that. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it was off-putting. Better. Yeah. It was, it was definitely not. From having listened to it, I think you could say this is not a waste. <laughs> no. This is not like No, for sure. No, this is this is creative. And, and that's, and again, getting back to sort of the thesis that you put together not too long ago was that, you know, they, they had, they diverged from what they were doing. They could have yeah. just hammered a paycheck as they say, right? right? They could have just gotten paid for doing what they'd already done because they talked was, about doing the bends too. <clears throat> right. And they just couldn't do it. They, you know, Would they have just, made sense. You know, they diverged. They, they went a different direction. They said, what, what can we do that we like? I thought it was cool because one of my favorite movies in the nineties was William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And so, oh yeah. Um, yeah. The song exit music, oh, exit, for exit music, yeah. yeah. Exit, exit music for a film was written for the very end, the final credits, and the final death scene. Spoiler alert for uh, right. Romeo and Juliet. I love that <laughs> yeah. film. I, I always thought that was one of the most creative films ever made. You know, I really liked it a lot. And they asked that their song not be included on the album, and I have that album. And so uh-huh. when I was reading, that, I was like, oh yeah, it's not on that album. And what was on that? It was like the Cardigans, right? The Cardigans um, for it was Love Fool, but there's also like uh, Butthole Surfers has a song on there. I think like Five Finger Death Punch. I mean, there's a lot of really cool man, songs they used on to there. Do, they used to do soundtrack albums back in the day. Yeah, those were all one offs written by each band specifically for that movie for a particular part in that movie. Yeah, and it just it went so well, you know. It was such a. It was a music video. The film. The film was a music video for Romeo and Juliet. Like if you did Romeo and Juliet yeah. as a sequence of like two hours worth of music videos back yeah. to back, but it yeah, really worked. Sure. I thought it. I thought it was super cool. It was very yeah. much a product of the 1990s. Yeah, absolutely. A version a 1990s <clears throat> version of Romeo and Juliet in every yes. sense of the word. That was very good. I liked it a lot. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater yeah. 30 years ago. So maybe it sucks. You should revisit. No, you should revisit. I think you'll I yeah. think you'll be impressed. It's it's a good it's a good flick. They wrote that and surprised themselves. Uh-huh. They worked with a new producer who was very uh, esoteric, the word I used earlier. He was kind of eccentric, mm-hmm. had a lot of different ways of doing things, and they're like, This is we're having fun with this. It was a different song, one they hadn't done before, different feel. Right. And they're like, right. Okay, if we're gonna do an album, let's go back and do that because we had fun doing that. So what was the surprise? Because we're 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 at that time. So yeah, it sounds to me like the the surprise for you is going to be kind of redundant because you didn't know anything about it. Right. And, I mean, did you have anything you wanted to say along the lines of what surprised you about? I mean, it not being crappy, whiny British rock. 
Sounds yeah, like. well, you know, the surprise, my surprise was how big this album was, and I'd never heard of it. I mean, I, I okay. sort of consider myself a pop culture, cultural. Like, you know, pop culture from the 1990s, right? That's not, that's I not, did. Uh, I mean, I was not alien territory. Yeah, me, absolutely. So. I, I thought I was, I thought I was there, but, but you know, one of these things was this was, I think a lot of the accolades came after the fact. People looked like three years later. Yeah. And said that really spoke to the whole generation, and so forth. So a lot of this, I mean, this is included in the Library of Congress, for God's sakes, because of its importance. Right. It's not just a bunch of critics that have nothing else to do that came up with it. It was, you know, it, it is considered very important. So it's definitely it, and I think that's kind of similar to my experience with it, which was that I bought it because I knew uh, I knew the band and I and I had it and I listened to it a little bit, but it was like I said years later where I started to realize, oh no, this whole thing is really good. Right. This is and not so, just a couple of songs that I like. This is yeah. a whole album. So I'm looking at, I'm reading this and I'm like, wait a minute, this is one of the most important albums of all times. Why? Right. You know, and that was, that was, I think that I read it. So what I did is I, I downloaded it, listened to it, read everything about it. And then I was like, huh? And then I went back and started listening to it again. And then what I tried to do is I tried to say, okay, remove the past 30 years and put myself into 1997. Where was I? What was I thinking? How was I feeling about life? Can I can I identify with this and can I see it? And I really I really could. And I could see it at the time. I wish I wasn't so busy that I I let this one slip by. You know, this is I wish I'd listened to this back then. My wife working in a record store is bringing home all the pop crap of the time because that's what they got their demos of, and then they got to take home the demos. So Savage yeah. Garden or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah I had the, I I had their A and B side singles of uh oh yeah was it chicka cherry cola was one song truly madly then, deeply truly madly deeply i remember we've, we've, I covered, we've covered your love for all things uh savage and garden yeah savage fact. and garden i do love savage gardens we do love um, the savage and the garden yeah not the, not, so, the, anyway. not, not the kid from wonder years growing tomatoes outside right. of his house but the uh, 1990s band so so i guess it's that time for me to make to render a decision unto caesar well, wait a minute. I had a surprise. Oh, oh, yo, you have a surprise. Really? I actually did have a big surprise. Even with all your experience with this. All my experience of this. Although I have to say I hadn't really thought much about the album. Um, I think at some point in my life I stopped looking at liner notes and doing lyrics. Uh-huh. So uh, there were a lot of lyrical surprises for me here. Like I, what was the one song where I was singing it wrong my whole life? It's the one, well, uh, the one we're saying, I'm, t- he's not saying I'm tired. He's saying something other than uh, I'm tired and subterranean <laughs> homesick alien. Yeah. And I, now I don't remember what it was, but I have to go look, look at it again because I've been singing it wrong my whole life. But anyway, <laughs> the thing that really surprised me was with Karma Police. Uh-huh. That's the chord progression from Sexy Sadie off the White huh. Album. Interesting. And it didn't ah. really occur to me. I had to go and listen to the song, and I was like, "I'll be damned!" It really is. It's the same chord progression. It's and it's it's meant as an homage. It's not like ripping it off, but uh, that really ah. surprised me. They seem like incredibly different songs. The chorus of that song is exactly the same. Yeah, so I mean that that's my surprise. It's a little, it's uh it's real, but it's fairly small and trivial. Upon revisiting this for myself, I'm definitely toasting it. I I yeah. enjoyed it a lot. I I had forgotten how good it is from top to bottom. I wasn't really aware what an impact it made. I th- I thought of doing the album for the show because I was at a party and a friend of mine suggested he was just talking about the great albums of all time and he mentioned this and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's a pretty good album. I mean, I'll go and listen. Maybe I'll do a show about it. Maybe people like. Maybe I'll get mm-hmm. to know whether it's good. So I-, I thought it was great. I thought it held up greatly and and very similar to the other two albums we did, Pet Sounds and Sergeant Pepper. Right. I think it formed a transitional period in an important band's progression. So. 
Well, I will, I will toast it as well. I, I think okay. um, you sold me on this one. This is, this is one of those rare instances where I'd never really heard of it. Never really looked at it. You know, you and I are, okay. we're, we're a few years apart, but we have sort of the same zeitgeist growing up, but this is one that, that I just, just never really got onto, but I, I, yeah, I played it for my kids, picked them up from school, threw on, okay. said, check this out. My daughter knew immediately. My daughter's really into music. And so she okay. was like, oh yeah, I've heard, I've heard this is a good album. Played it. She really liked it. Played Fitter Happier for them. And they're like, ooh, this is weird. <laughs> but I said, I said, as a concept, I said, they did something different here, you know, and, and you got to think about that. I think the next, the next, the equivalent would be, okay, let's go have chat GPT, which is going to happen. Somebody very soon is going to make an album with chat GPT. Mark my word. Um, just have it make an album or make the whole thing absolutely yeah. why not chat gpt make me an album in the style yeah. or influence of beatles and metallica somebody was talking to me the other day about you know how there's it's not chat gpt it, it's something similar but it's like an it's an ai where you can put in some suggestions and it'll generate artwork for you yeah right based right. on yeah. what it can see all over the internet mm -hmm. and somebody was like yeah. oh that's so messed up that you can have a computer just take all these influences and I was thinking about it for a second because my first impulse, of course, was like, oh, yeah, it's gross, you know, having mm -hmm. a computer replace mm -hmm. human art. But then I was like, but that's what the human brain does, right? That's exactly what the human brain we does. We take yeah. in all this stuff through our whole life and then we spit something back out that's a spin on what yeah, we're but the, the different, you know? Yeah, but the difference is, is we do something unique, though. Like, have you ever seen Picasso's? I think I've talked about this before. Like, Picasso, when he, was, when he was a young man, he was 12 years old and it was yeah. like, it was amazing. It was like what a master would do at that time. Right. And he won like an art exhibition with it. He always said that when he was a child, he had to learn to paint like an adult so that when he was an adult, he could learn to paint like a child. And that's what humans do. Chat GPT, I don't think we'll ever get there. Maybe it will. I think 99% of humans do exactly what the AI does, which is spit out something from whatever they've seen that's slightly different. And then there's a guy like Picasso that comes around once every hundred years. Who does no, you're right. No, you're absolutely different. right. Like, well, that's that's the point. No, that's yeah. the, see, that's the point right there. Okay, let's, I'm going to bring this back around and we can split. You're right. 99% of the people would have, if they were Radiohead, 99% of them would have just taken the money, the put out a different too. album, yeah. put, a, put out a different album. They would have been oasis again right right but what makes us human is they diverged they zagged or zigged or whatever when they should have gone the other way and they said you know i don't feel like that i feel like doing something different and and they came up with something new and that's what humans can do ai can't do that yet but uh who knows i mean who knows what's gonna happen in the future but at the very at the yeah. You know, our saving grace is that we can we can decide creativity is more important than a paycheck and do something else. So anyway, for what it's worth. Right. We can go so, against our programming. Absolutely. Well, cheers to this one. This is a great, great pick. Thank you very much. All right. I'm glad you had fun with it. So my, my pick for next time is going to be the cucumber. The book? No, no, just a cucumber. Remember we talked vegetable, mineral. Oh, right. God, yeah, I thought so you were serious. Cucumber, because you, you could, yeah. after all, you can do sasiki. You can do... You know, hollowed out cucumber tub things. You can do pickles. Okay. What can't you do with the cucumber? So Fair that'll enough. be my next pick. There's a, there's there's other things you can do with a cucumber. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to talk about it. <laughs> well, we we this is a kids show. Well, you know, a general show. So join us next time, ladies and gentlemen, for the cucumber on <laughs> toasting the closet. Not for a couple. Not for a couple episodes though, because that's free choice. Well, that so. is true. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe for a bit. <laughs> All, All right. right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This is Dave MacArthur signing out. And this is Clint Leader. Hey, go out and find my book. It's called uh, Ted Mac, 
And America's first black-owned brewery, the Rise and Fall of People's Beer, is for pre-sale now on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, it's doing pretty well. This is Black History Month when we're recording this. So oh, nice. uh, do yourself a favor and find out about the first black brewery owner in America. So I thought we were doing a party for when you, I thought we were doing a launch party. It keeps getting, it, yes, we are. It keeps getting pushed okay. back. I think when we talked about that, it was like March 3rd. Now it's like May 11th. So I don't know why they keep pushing it back. They haven't told me. Well, let me details, know because I actually will come to Las Cruces for that. Well, we will do that. I, I, I mean, this is a big deal for me. So I, I, I will let you know. I'll let everybody know. You, okay. you, are, you are all invited. So, uh, so thanks for joining us yet again. Okay. Peace out. Bye. That's it for episode 73 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some cherry coke, maraschino syrup, and rum for our discussion of the S.E. Hinton novel, The Outsiders. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know your favorite Radiohead album. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Toasting the Classics.